0: Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, we're in, we're going to verse 7, which I said we're going to finish. Started to say, I think we're about done. But we will finish verse 7. So let's read. Let's start with verse 4. and We're going to read through verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Keep that in mind, that every spiritual blessing, because that's part of what we're going to look at at the end of verse 7, where it talks about the riches of His grace. That's how He's blessed us, with every spiritual blessing. And in verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We've looked at, we have our redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins. But it goes beyond that, which we've already looked at. But I want to look at, at center in on that forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. It's the message I've got here. Let me read verse 7 in the message says because of the sacrifice of the messiah his blood poured out on the altar of the cross we are a free people free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds and not just barely free either abundantly free i really like the way that addresses that we are abundantly free the, the Greek word there is uh, plutos, which comes from pletho, which we get the English word plethora, meaning just an abundance. Uh, plutos, I know we get the, the, the English word plutocrat, um, which is talking like Bill Gates kind of rich. Or what was that? Uh, I just, the Mexican guy, Carlos Slim. Since Trump became president, the peso dropped in value compared to the dollar and he lost he lost something like five to six billion dollars but he's still worth 40 billion (laughs) and i'm thinking how you know every once in a while i've i've looked you know when the the powerball or one of the lotteries gets up i think the last time it was like 450 million dollars and you just start thinking, it, half, you're only going to get half of that if you take cash. So that's $225 million. If you lose half of it to taxes, that's $112 million. I don't know. How, I, I, I would have a hard time spending that kind of money. I don't know what. I mean, it would totally change your your you know, your material life, well, that's kind of the the riches that God's grace is. It's not just, well, we you got in, and people used to use the phrase, well, it's, um, this guy's just going to get into heaven by the skin of his teeth. No, if you're saved, there is no skin of your teeth. It's either in and you're in abundantly or you're not in at all. But I found it interesting, um, that word plutos, where we get the the Latin for Pluto, the little, used to be a planet. I didn't realize, but that was in in the uh, Roman pantheon of gods. That was the god of the underworld. And he was always associated with riches because in the earth you found gold and silver, and copper and tin which metals even I mean some of the metals well gold silver and copper are extremely valuable today tin is not quite as much but still all of the metals are, are they're just vastly expensive with maybe the exception of iron it's just it, it, I guess the idea is just it's more than enough. But then when it talks about His grace that's the Greek word uh, charis where we get um, charisma which is really a kind of a, not a, charisma and God's grace are, God's grace can give you charisma but charisma falls so much short of God's grace. But it's, it basically, the, the connotation behind it means to be cheerful, to be happy. That's where we get the, the, the part of, of um, the gospel is the good news. And the good news is it's, it's ours. We don't really have to do much other than just accept Christ. But here's something in, that I, I actually ministered a little bit on this Sunday I saw this, and I had never seen it. If you go over to the book of Revelation, two places, one in in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 4 and 5. This is um, the letter to the church at Sardis, which is, um, well, let's just just back up. We'll read the whole thing, starting in verse 1. It says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, right. Let me just address that real quick. All of the translators of English, pretty much every English um, translation, were cowards when it comes to this word angel. They just made a, it's the Greek word angelos. So they just transliterated it. Sometimes that does mean a heavenly being, but the literal meaning of that word is messenger. And in almost all of the letters here to the churches, that angel is referring to the pastor of the church because the pastor is the messenger of God for that local church. So he's talking to here. He's talking, and and most churches have angels assigned to that church to do things spiritually spiritually. But this is this is directly addressed to the pastor of this church. And this isn't a great thing to to have God say to you. He says these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. So they're they've got lots of activity. They're doing great things, but he's saying you're dead. What you're doing really doesn't count for anything. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And then... Verse 4 and 5 is what I was wanting to focus in on. It says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So in the midst of this church that's evidently looks like a lot of churches, especially in the United States today, um, John described them as being, um, I think it was in John's writing, maybe it was Peter's, they're like clouds with no rain. They, they have all the markings, but they really don't preach Christ. Um, they have lots of programs, but there, aren't, there really aren't salvations taking place. But even in those churches, usually there are a few that are truly saved. And so he's talking to them. And he makes this statement in verse 5. He said, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. John also says in, in um, 1 John that to be an overcomer means that you have the spirit of God. So he's not talking about a Christian who's um, what we would describe as a Christian who's walking you know, out their faith and living a clean life. Uh, he's talking about just people that are saved. That's what it means to be an overcomer. And the reason I point that out is I've had a lot of people, in fact, myself, before I really studied this out, think, wow, I don't know that I am an overcomer. <laughs> I've got too many problems in my life. i got too many issues that I'm dealing with. But if you're a Christian, you're an overcomer. And he, But he says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now that scripture right there, that phrase, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, always puzzled me. And recently I just got a little more light on it. If you go to Revelation chapter 22, this is talking about the white throne judgment, which there are two judgments for us as Christians. When we die, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is, um, well, it's in, in the Greek it's the Bema seat, and we do have a Bema seat today. When you watch the Olympics after the races are done or the event is done, the Bema seat is where they the athletes stand to get their medals, so it's the the Bema seat is normally not a place where, like in a court courthouse where you're getting judged for your ill deeds, it's an award ceremony where you're getting judged as the champion or the winner, and you're getting your reward still judgment but in a positive sense rather than a negative sense, and we will all stand before that judgment seat. But uh, in Revelation oh I said twenty-two. Sorry. Back up to verse or chapter twenty. Wrong. I started, to say, I started to read that verse and it's like that's not doesn't say what I wanted to. Verse eleven This is the White Throne judgment. He says, Then I saw a great white throne And him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books, notice it's books plural, were opened, and another book singular was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What I saw, because I've, I've preached for, for a long time, and i've had some resistance to it over time but it's getting to be less and less i've always preached that people that go to hell don't go to hell because of their sins and i say that and i'm and I, i'm not preaching universalism there are people that are going to go to hell but i always had a problem with because there is a doctrine out there, and there are a lot of people that believe it that say, Well, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid the price for the sins of the saints. But he didn't pay the price for the sins of those that, that God knew would reject him. And, and they, that's why they, go, they are going to hell. I see too many scriptures that say he, he died for all. And, and then you have scriptures, you know, I think it was Peter's writing that said, you know, his will is that all should come into the knowledge, that none should perish, but all should come into the knowledge of grace. And so what how I've pictured this is, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price through his blood for every sin committed from Adam's sin all the way to the last person that lives just before the white throne judgment and sins. All of those sins were covered with Jesus' blood. But then the problem is, well, if everybody's sins are covered, then how can a just God send anybody to hell? Well, Jesus in several places in the, um, in the Gospels talks about the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I've heard most people say, well, that means you're, you know, especially since I came over into Pentecostal circles, well, that's people that, that ascribe tongues as being of the devil. And I don't think it's that. I, I, and the more I've studied it, really blasphemy, the, the Greek word blasphema, means to, um, to speak ill of someone. And how I finally, to in my mind, and I would not, if someone disagreed with me, I wouldn't break fellowship with anybody. There are very few things I'd break fellowship, but, but I wouldn't argue this that hard. It's my personal conviction. What I've seen is that Jesus died for all of the sins of mankind, but, and in that, and this is where chapter 3 comes in, When that happens, Jesus wrote the names of all mankind into the book of life. But when people come to this age of accountability and you have a decision, I'm going to follow Christ or I'm not going to follow Christ. If the Holy Spirit moves on you, and he does with every man that's alive, if the Holy Spirit moves on you and you get a revelation that Jesus did die for my sins, and you just flat say no, definite no. And I, I qualify that too with the Holy Spirit will move on us many, many, many times before we will, most people, finally give in. I don't know, I don't know if anyone were the first time they ever got that, um, they felt the conviction of the Spirit that they just gave in to it most people they resist it a little bit but they finally give in and say yes i want jesus to be my lord but if you reach a point where you just put your foot down and you say i do not want this the holy spirit will quit moving on you and if he does at that point according to the letter of the uh, to the church at sardis god removes your name from the book of life And you decide that you want to be judged by your works so that when you get to the white throne judgment, you get judged out of all of the works that you've done and none of them amount to enough to get you into heaven. Well, how that applies here, when I look at Ephesians 1-7, part of the riches of his grace is that There's opportunity for every soul that's ever lived to be in heaven. No one will ever have a complaint that God was unjust. Every every living creature, from Adam to the last person um, that will exist prior to Jesus, um, the end of the millennial reign... Just before the white throne judgment, um, they had an opportunity to step into that and to get saved. Um, that's 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 that takes a lot of power. That takes a lot of grace. It takes a lot of of um, well, I don't know how else to describe it. That is a richness. It would be like me, you know. I've occasionally you notice somebody that does something and you decide to, to bless them. Well, I didn't do the blessing, but I got blessed after men's prayer um, two weeks ago. Um, there were three of us that were at at um, at the restaurant, and two guys came in that visit the church every once in a while, and. They came over and sat near us, and we were talking to them across the tables, and and we asked for our check, and finally the, you know, after we asked the second time, our waitress said, "Well, yours has been taken care of," and this guy just came in and he bought all of our lunch or all of our breakfasts, and it was like, okay, well that I could probably afford to do that for a table of three where we go eat breakfast because we, I mean, we're not spending fifty bucks. A piece for breakfast. But he would take a big wallet to buy every meal, for every person, for everybody that's ever lived. That's the riches of God's grace. In fact, um, let me tag two scriptures here. Um, look at Psalm 66. And I want to read, well, the first verse of that 66 psalm says, Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. And then verse um 12 says, You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Now, the message version of that in verse 12, I like. It gives us a little bit different um, um, connotation. It says, you road tested us inside and out. You took us to hell and back. Finally, he brought us to this well-watered place. Because for Jews, you know, any Middle Easterner, it's an arid land. Having water is the most important aspect of where you live. If you have a source of water, you can live. If you don't have a ready source of water, there's, just, there's no living there. And, and part of this is talking about, um, well, verse 6, it says he converted the sea to dry land. It's talking about when Israel's coming out of of Egypt. Um, and they. that's where it says, I think the New King James says, you caused men to ride over our heads. To our mind, to my mind, it's like... Um, I don't really want somebody riding over my head, but it means that they they passed over us without without encountering us. It's almost like well, we laid down and they just walked past us. But that that last part I love with the message, He brought us to a well watered place. You're there in, in Psalm 66. Go back to Psalm one, which is ought to be. The um, ought to be our goal for every Christian. And I'm just going to look at the first three verses of Psalm one. He said, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in this path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful." He gives verse one, he gives three negatives three things that we don't do to get blessed. We're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't stand in the path of sinners. And we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. But verse 2, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Meaning there's not a time, and because and, uh, I know a lot of people, I've had people say, well, and in, even in the New Testament it talks about Paul says in in the epistles that we're to pray without ceasing. I've had people say, "Well, this tells me I'm supposed to meditate in the word day and night. I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. How do I sleep? How do I have a job? I can't meditate day and night. I can't pray without ceasing. I got to go to work and if I'm at work I got to concentrate on my work." Well, it's th- these aren't really taken literal. It's both of them means we, we never get to a place where the word isn't first place on our mind. And we never get to a place or a situation where prayer isn't needed. I had a, uh, when I was at chapel, in, um, when I was in seminary for a while, we had a chapel speaker. And he made one of those comments that when they made it, it sounds really humble and good. But then when I thought about it, it's like, that's really kind of stupid. It was a typical city college. It was a it's it was Southern Seminary in Louisville, and it was landlocked. Uh, beautiful facilities, beautiful buildings, um, but you couldn't park. I don't know, three four hundred cars on the whole campus, and. With all of the people that lived on campus and those that drove to campus, you probably had twelve, fifteen hundred 1,500 cars needing to park. So there was never a place to park. Well, he he came, and, and he was talking about, I'm sorry, I'm a little out of breath. I was running late. I drove through campus, and I couldn't find a parking place. And he said, I learned a long time ago, God's too busy, and I just don't bother him praying for parking spaces anymore. And when he said that, because everybody kind of, you know, looked at him like, wow, you know, that's really spiritual. And I thought, I think God's big enough to handle a parking place and world peace at the same time. <laughs> it's, there's nothing too small to pray over. That's what, what, what the writer of the psalm here is saying. We need to meditate all the time on his word. But verse 3 is the result of doing that. We shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever that person does shall prosper. If you go out west, and I didn't, probably the closest I lived to a desert was when we were in Tulsa. And I used to, we, we would laugh when we first moved out there because they, when you turn on the TV, it doesn't matter what channel you were on, they always talked about green country. And I'm looking around and thinking, <laughs> there ain't nothing green about this place. It's all brown. Well, then my first job I found out there was was delivering furniture, and I delivered some stuff out into western Oklahoma. And when I got out of western Oklahoma, it was like, now I understand why eastern Oklahoma is called green country, because it was really barren. But no matter where you went in that arid, you could go on out into the panhandle of Texas, go into West Texas where it's really dry. If you find a river, you'll find trees. Trees will grow along riverbanks. Even when the, when the river is almost dry, there's still enough moisture usually, unless you have a prolonged drought, there's enough moisture in those, that soil that, you, that trees will stay green. They may die other places. Now, around here, we're not inundated by forest just simply because we cut it all down, and they've plowed the the field so long now that trees, you know, they keep them out so they can grow corn and, and, uh, and soybeans. But when the settlers got here, you know, in Indiana originally, it was all forest land because we get so much rain. It wouldn't matter how much rain if you've got a river that's always got water in it. Those trees, their leaves don't ever go go brown. And every time it's time to have fruit, their fruit comes up. Now, where this gets exciting for me is if I look at Revelation 22. That's where I sent you a minute ago, and I was a little ahead of time. Verse one and two. This is um, the new Jerusalem. This is after the white throne judgment. The devil, the antichrist, all of the the, the uh, his followers, the fallen angels, they're all in the bottomless pit. Death and hell have gone away, and we're we're coming into the new Jerusalem. But in verse twenty two, it says, "And he showed me." A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. So in the New Jerusalem, there's going to be a river coming out of the throne of God. And that river represents life. He says, And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Part of that, when you pair that with Psalm 1, that we're like a tree planted by the living waters, when we meditate on the word day and night, we partake of the riches of his grace and we become more and more aware of what his grace provides for us Then. Our lives, our tree, the leaves stay green. We bear fruit in every season. You know, it's it used to drive me crazy. Um, my first real job was picking peaches. And it was crazy. You would pick, we would pick peaches. They were hard as baseballs. And I'm thinking, who in the world would ever want to eat this? Well, now that I don't live near a peach orchard, that's all you get. You know, you've got peaches that are picked green. They expose them to ethylene gas to try to ripe them, but they don't have any, they're not sweet. But we would also pick, when we would pick them, you would get tree-ripened peaches. Well, they could not ship those. They would rot before they ever got to the stores. So those were called overripes. And actually, they were just ripe, but they sold those locally. And oh, my gosh, we would, you could, I could hurt myself on those things. They were like eating candy. And we would go, even there, when I would get paid, I would usually get a bushel or two of the overripes when they really were good. And we'd go home, wash them up, cut them up. Mom would freeze them. And we'd eat those things all, you know, we had a huge freezer. But still, we couldn't free, if, if we filled our freezer with nothing but peaches, I probably wouldn't, I would have run out of peaches before the next season came in. And we didn't have the much room because we also had to put all of our frozen vegetables and the cows, you know, the steers that we slaughtered. So we never had enough of the really good stuff that I wanted but in the New Jerusalem, the, the trees are going to f- bear fruit every month. There's all, the the, the, the um, blessings of that tree are always going to be in season, which is what we're called to be in Psalm 1. We stay meditating on the word day and night. We stay acquainted with the rich of his, riches of his grace. Our leaves are green, and that's the great thing. The leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. That fruit that we bear is not for us. We can eat of it. We're blessed for it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm. there's, um, well, one of the, this is off topic, but I, I listened to a message this morning. It was by my daughter's pastor, and he was, commenting that he had, um, and I've heard several people since I heard it from him, that he didn't think it was a coincidence that Donald Trump is the 45th president. When you go to Isaiah 45, it talks about Cyrus, who was an unbeliever, an unbelieving king of, of um the nation when they were they the jews were still in babylon and he blessed the jews to go back and rebuild the temple rebuild the walls and he wasn't even a believer but in in um when you read this first part of of isaiah 45 he says thus says the lord to his anointed to cyrus whose right hand i have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places. I, I want that anointing. <laughs> I want to see. I've lived on barely get a long street way too long. I want to see... The, the hidden riches of the secret places, the treasures of darkness. I want to see the wealth of the, the wicked um, lay, that's laid up for the righteous. I want to see all of those things come into the church, come into, and when you're bearing fruit every month, you know, I'm, this year, I, I'm, since I, I worked in an orchard, I came to realize that when we have warm winters like this, It usually means you're going to have a really bad fruit season because we'll get a really cold snap now that all the buds have come out, and they'll freeze those buds, and you won't get a lot of fruit. But the fruit you have will be very large and very good. But how much more when you've just got fruit coming off the trees every day, every week, every month? They never quit bearing. I want that kind of of harvest. And and that's part of what God is saying. That's part of his riches for us. And then verse 8, which we're we're not going to get to, but it's let me let me touch on it real quick. And then we'll quit. But in Ephesians 1, 8, he talks about backing up in the Verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That, the riches of that grace aren't just something that's in heaven. He's made it to abound toward us, but it's abounding toward us in wisdom and prudence. The, the words there for wisdom is Sophia, which means a godly wisdom, a higher um, knowledge. But prudence literally means everyday, workaday wisdom to do stuff. I would, I would call it common sense, which tells me that God's riches, because I've heard a lot of people say, well, God wants us blessed, but those are all just spiritual blessings, they don't really, um, especially people that don't like the message of, of prosperity. Well, those are, those are you know spiritual blessings. They don't mean that God wants you to have money. Well, that's a good excuse for not believing for God to bless you financially, when what he's saying is my, my, the riches of my grace are gonna give you heavenly wisdom, but they're also gonna teach you how to apply yourself and be successful at life, which I like. <laughs> because I, I I know I'm going to have lots of rewards when I get to heaven. I mean, even if I get to heaven and I have I get to the Bama seat and it's just, well, you're here. You're gonna spend eternity with me. That's great. I'm okay with that. But I'm believing for more rewards. But I'd like to enjoy some of those things in the here and now. Now, you know, I don't, I don't know that God's promised me I'm going to be lottery winner rich. But I liked Brother Hagan. His, his definition of rich when I was at Ramah was, he said, "You're rich if you have more than enough money to pay all your bills, and then have plenty left over to give." everywhere God shows you to give. He said, that's a rich man. I'll settle for that, you know. I've, I've, I know you all have too. I've been where I had month after month after month, I had more month than I had money, you know. My money ran out long before my month ran out. I've survived through days like that. And then I've had days when I could make my money stretch through the entire month. But I called it our, our emergency budgets. We just had enough to pay the bills, feed ourselves, and there was nothing left over. And then I've had periods of time where I had plenty left over. And God said, I want you to go sow some money. Um, and it's like, okay. And I just write the check. I like doing that. I'd much rather do that than be on the, you know, I got a call and say, well, I just can't get to you this month. I will do my best to catch up next month. And, you know, um, God's riches, he wants us to be so blessed. But I don't believe we can get the material blessings until we get the spiritual blessings. I do think some people, the... The, the people who preach against prosperity have a p- partial point that the mafia is rich. I don't know that they're as rich as everybody thinks they are because um, most crooks that I see are still living in the ghetto and they don't it's not like they they don't work but they still don't have a lot but um I know a lot of very rich people that are still miserable, but I I think once you get the spiritual blessings, it should translate out into not just money, but good relationships, being successful, being uh, content, not having to worry about every little thing. Just, to me, that's being a prosperous person. Whether you have, you know, $100,000 in your bank account or not. Um, God doesn't mind putting $100,000 in your bank account if he can trust you with the money. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.